Hello and welcome back to The Other Side of Perfect. On today's show, I speak to the extremely creative and talented Emma Flynn, also known in the digital space as This Mama Doodles. Emma is a wonderful mum of three, artist, illustrator, writer and creator whose words and imagery have touched the lives of mothers across the globe. Emma is also a fantastic maternal mental health advocate and to highlight Maternal Mental Health Month, she is undoubtedly the person to have this conversation with. Did you know that one in five women experience mental health concerns during and after childbirth, but these go undetected and untreated? Sadly, common symptoms of mental health concerns mirror typical postpartum symptoms and include changes to weight, energy, sleep, libido and emotions, which is why I feel it's so hard for mothers to open up, reach out and ask for help. During this episode, we cover candid subjects including mother-baby bonding, postpartum emotions, loss of identity and relationship changes. Emma is wonderful at highlighting these struggles in such an honest and sensitive way on our own platform and so I hope this discussion helps some of you feel less alone as we unite in the complexity that is motherhood. I'm redoing this intro because I was just talking to Emma and my AirPod flew across the room with force and we started talking about ears not fitting AirPods and feet not fitting Birkenstocks. What I was saying is that I have been hugely moved by your content and works and starting to follow you and I do feel you have an extremely special way of articulating some of the things that so many of us suffer with in silence. So firstly, I want to thank you for your open honesty, bravery and just ability to connect with mothers. Thank you so much. This podcast is a platform where perhaps listeners aren't on social media. They may not know this Mama Doodles. So would Mm. you be able to give us some background about yourself and how it led you to do the work that you do today? Yeah, so I, before I had my children, I worked as a midwife in a really busy Dublin hospital. And I absolutely, totally loved my job. I loved connecting with women and meeting them at a space and time in their lives where they were both vulnerable and incredibly powerful and cracking open. That's the only way I can describe how it felt to be in that space. When I went on to have my own children, I decided I wanted to have my family with the kids close together. So I had three small children in three and a half years. Um, Within that time, I decided to take a break from midwifery just because of the demands of night shifts and weekends with family life and small kids and I challenging pregnancies. And as a way to sort of reconnect with myself, I started to teach myself how to draw illustrations. I'd never drawn them before that. And it was always something I found really hard to do. My friend encouraged me to share it on Instagram. And I was originally mortified at the thought of it. But I started and instantly was met with women um, and mothers meeting me at every space and time where I shared an illustration about my motherhood experience and my experience navigating this new world as, as a mother. I was met with so much reassurance and validation from the women in Ireland at first and then globally that what I was sharing was of value. And that in turn encouraged me and made me feel safe enough to keep sharing and and the account has kind of grown legs without effort in a lot of ways. Yes, there's a lot of work that goes into illustration and poetry and writing and DMs and all those kind of things. But in terms of how it's gathered a following, the work that I put on my page sort of 
gains traction itself and it sort of gets shared in WhatsApp groups and friends tag their husbands and friends in the comments and and it sort of builds this connection. Someone once described my page as a, like it feels like a safe meeting place for mothers, which I thought was the most gorgeous description that it could be a place where people feel comfortable to see a message and engage in the comments. And, you know, it feels like a safe place to go. So that's what I do. I then um, sort of ended up selling prints and doing a bit of, you know, uh, brand work for illustrations and illustration private work with companies and that kind of thing. So I've sort of forged a little career and what started very much as a hobby and a way to process this huge change in my life. I'm just listening to how your work was described and I'm nodding in agreement because I feel like the virality of what you do comes from the isolation of motherhood. Mm. It is a safe space to join in a fearless way where you know you're united with others who are in the same space and I feel like the cracking open is a minuscule way of describing what happens to us because yeah. from a body experience and a mental experience I never ever prepared myself for what happened yeah. you can read all of the books you can look at all of the papers and the research and you can listen to people going through postpartum depression or you hear discussions of rage or irritability and tapping out and feeling touched out and overstimulation and recovery and birth trauma and they're kind of ping words until you are in it Mm -hmm. yeah and when you're in it you have this for me anyway immense empathy towards women across the globe it is something that you never look at someone the same way again you look at someone in the supermarket with a baby or toddler in tow and you just feel almost an emotion. I find I'm quite emotional around other mothers that I don't even know because you get a sense of, I can't imagine what your day is like, but I know it's hard. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is, but it feels like it's hard because it's hard for me Mm. and I just have one. And so you suddenly just, you crack open a new sense of self. And I do feel like a lot of that is empathy and a lot of that is just understanding that we're in this together without actually speaking about it a lot. And what your page does is it opens up that conversation. It makes people feel comfortable in exploring that side of themselves and knowing that it's okay to have these feelings. And it's so sad, Joanne, though, because I actually feel emotional talking about it because we don't, as mothers, have community anymore. We don't have that chat over the garden fence. Every mother on the road is home with their kids. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not romanticizing that you know, stage of life in the world either. But women and mothers used to have each other and the children subsequently had each other. And now we are so isolated in our journeys and our only window into other people's motherhood experience is often the very curated online version that we see where mammies are bringing newborns on trips to Dubai and getting everything done up at the click of a finger and they're never tired and all of the above because naturally and out of a form of self-protection because it's not always the safest place for people to share new mammies when they are feeling vulnerable and they're, and they're making this just they don't feel like plastering that everywhere on social media the place to share that is with a connection with somebody you trust and love and you feel they've gone there before you but we don't 
have that anymore. From being on the influencer side of things and being conscious of what I may have made people feel through my curated feed when I may have been feeling more alone than it appeared is the difficulty is through my own lack of connection or uh, village that isn't there necessarily maybe the connection is through online and virtual and then you're 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 all part of the problem because the discussion isn't either side and I remember feeling very rough physically after birth and having a lot of byproducts of what had happened and Mm. looking at other people in my space dressed up to the nines days after a section and feeling a huge amount of pressure to do the same and a huge amount of pressure. And I would be a very confident person in being myself and not feeling like I have to be like anyone else. But at the same time, I did feel that pressure because I thought, well, how come I'm recovering so slowly? Is this yeah, do the wrong. Is this normal? Mm. And how can one do recovery wrong or right? There is there is no wrong or right. Or we're exactly. built, you know, on a cellular level completely differently and mentally and everything like that. And also you don't know that the person dressed up to the nines isn't removing that outfit minutes after that photo. <laughs> to get comfortable mm-hmm. again and and that it just breeds a whole sense of confusion and uh, feeling not enough and you're already so cracked open and vulnerable at that stage anyway that it's a scary space and yet the online realm can be amazing because you do get that form of village and you get a lot of information and you can have a lot of support and help because our virtual selves are much more communicated and connected than the real life now which is a terribly sad space to be in but it is the way the world has got um and without that we wouldn't have our jobs both of us which is great but equally I think that it has removed our push and desire to make more connections in real life and to to get outside our comfort zone to remake and rebuild that village exactly and COVID I think kind of like with the nail in the coffin of that too and so many mammies who would probably consider they didn't have their babies during COVID because it wasn't lockdown. If you had a baby over the last three years, I think you had a baby during COVID. If you had to worry about your baby getting it or worry about you getting it or not have your nearest and dearest visit you in the hospital, it all just like channeled mothers and women down this sort of funnel where the walls were kind of squeezing and tightening over the last 20 years anyway. And it just sort of dropped us down into this narrow little tunnel where you're you're on your own now, emotionally, mentally, and now physically too. You are now also on your own too. Um, and that's why I think it's very easy for people to be negative about social media. And as you said, there's a lot of good things that come from it. But we're also, we're all trying to connect. It is our human we are we are made for connection. We are hardwired to need it. And so finding your village, however it looks now, is is perfectly fine. However that looks, that in a way that helps you is the most important thing. But equally, when you say that you had a really hard time after birth and feeling like you shouldn't necessarily have maybe been having such a hard time, I also feel empathy for the person on the other side who was maybe just having a fabulous day, one random day. Yeah. And then they crashed for five weeks afterwards and they were just enjoying that moment and feeling great. And, you know, I suppose our individual responsibility is to try because it is not a straight road and um, to consume social media 
very, very consciously in who we follow at certain times. You know, there's people that I would have loved when I was pregnant that spoke a lot about, you know, or when I was sick after Jack, spoke a lot about the struggles of motherhood and and the darkness and the dark days. And now I don't really so heavily engage with those accounts because thankfully I'm not in that space anymore and I don't need to stay there. It's okay if now I want to be looking at the gal with gorgeous handbags and, you know, and next week it could be something different that we just need to allow it to to move and ebb and flow with our lives so that it's it's something that adds to our lives rather than than taking from it. Absolutely. And I think being conscious is both difficult, but also essential in curating our feed, curating our own happiness, because a lot of it is what we digest more often than seeing people in real life for a lot of people. You know, you're looking at your phone unconsciously kicking in and out of apps. So it is so important to actually navigate that in a way that serves you and realise that there will be days that are bad and good and also equally triggers at different moments in time, which you talked about. What you connect with now may not be what you connect with on your worst day and that it is up to you to choose that and to make that feed a happy place for you and have it ever changing and that that's okay too. You don't need to be constant in that because it is it's an ever-changing algorithm as it stands. So what is being produced won't be popular in a month's time and it won't reach insights to where they need it to be for work. And equally, as someone who's an onlooker, it's not serving you anymore. So it's just yes. about giving each other grace. And I like the way you discussed someone just having a glamorous, fabulous day to hold those moments and shout them from the rooftop. So equally, if that's glamorized online and makes somebody feel bad, you have to also give the person who's feeling good the grace to do that because they may have weeks and weeks where they couldn't get out of bed. And then one day yeah. they felt good enough to pull out that dress and put it on and take a photo of it and feel fabulous. And it may not come again. So yeah. just the awareness. I want to touch on your births and your bonding experiences, which you have spoken about and touched so many women's lives by opening up about perhaps the less romantic bonding of mother and baby and not the perfect, glorious love bubble that is depicted. We watch movies and we see someone's waters breaking and it is this crescendo of water spilling all over the supermarket (laughs) floor. And it's like you're expecting that to happen you and you go into labour and it just happens like that. And it's all quite exciting and filled with adrenaline. And it doesn't actually really happen like that. The penny drops on multiple occasions when you're in hospital, when you're giving birth and afterwards and the bonding. So Would you mind sharing those experiences, which I'm sure are very different with each baby? My first baby, Jack, was born in April. Um, I had, through my work as a midwife and through somebody who's had experience since a very young age with mental illness, mental health issues, I was very committed to doing everything I could to make sure I came out the other side of that journey well. I was speaking to everybody about my concerns um, regarding bonding, regarding postnatal depression, prepping my husband to look out for signs and symptoms. I was doing the legwork and the groundwork. And yes, Joanne, when that baby was on my chest and the first night we spent together in the hospital, nothing could have prepared me for the feeling of disconnect I had to this little person who looked objectively so beautiful and lovely. I could have loved him easier and quicker if he was yours. The idea that he was mine, my son, 
my forever boy and I felt little to nothing was such an alarming feeling that even with somewhat preparing for it, I never expected it to feel quite so stark, quite so empty and yet terrifying. Because I had worked in that hospital, the girls one of the nights um, offered to take him for me so I could get some sleep. And I did sleep for a few hours. And the rest of the time I spent Googling how to love your baby. And it sort of started from there. Um, we went home together. The weeks passed. I very much knew I cared about him. But I didn't feel any love. And the thing about motherhood and new motherhood is it's so bloody hard that to do it without the piece of the pie that is that beautiful connection and love is so incredibly harrowingly difficult to do the late nights, the C-section recovery, the feeds, the sore boobs, to do all of that with a little person that feels like a bomb and your heart feels cold and shattered is just so upsetting and so hard and I sort of dropped a few breadcrumbs as I was chatting with people trying to suss out if anyone had ever felt the same and my own mom you know would have said like oh you'll never feel anything like it that moment when they tell you it's a boy it's a girl there's nothing like it now I remember going up a few weeks later to visit the girls in work and saying like how are you getting on and and I would say things like I don't feel like a mommy. I don't feel like a mommy. I feel like I'm an Emma and I have a Jack and Jack is a lovely person and I'm a lovely person and we're doing this together. And no one sort of picked up that that was maybe not quite normal until eventually postpartum anxiety, OCD, everything sort of collided, depression. I had a very major mental health crisis and I had to really delve into doing a lot of work on my mind and body and connecting and feeling safe with this beautiful baby and allowing myself to love him. Because as I teased it out with my therapist, there was a huge part of me through my work as a midwife. I've done a lot of bereavement work. There was a huge part of me that couldn't even fathom the idea that I would get a healthy baby to take home and they wouldn't die. I just kind of kept waiting on, on that part of the story to unfold and it didn't. So it was about five months later um, that I started to feel easy in his company. And, and five months in the grand scheme of life is obviously relatively short. But as you can imagine, you're with this baby day and night. I lived in a part of the city where I wasn't near my family. I knew nobody in the area. I'd spend the days walking around parks with a pram, trying to make a memory, trying to make a moment. But it was so isolating. And that's when I started the Instagram page. So five months it started to ease and then I remember the first day he rolled over so he was whatever seven or eight months at that stage and I was at home and he was on the rug and he rolled over and I squealed with joy Joanne I literally felt like this rip of joy sort of literally like a zip sort of zip from the bottom up to the top of me and it was like it opened and my heart opened and I could see the magic of him for the first time, without all of the, the worry, the anxiety, the stress, the anxiety. And for the first time, I really saw the magic of the boy that was in front of me. And my heart just exploded. And I got to love him every day since then.
and it grew and grew and grows and grows to this day still. And what I learned from that experience and what I continue to learn now as he just turned five is that love is an evolving relationship and how we get to love and how we continue to love is ever changing. And there is no right way and there is no wrong way. So then I had my little girl and I prepped myself for feeling the same. I sort of had everyone in my life prepped as if I was going into war. It was a very big decision to go again after such a, you know, a difficult experience. And as much as I prepped, I was really hoping, Joanne, that I was going to feel it, that I was going to say this time I got that feeling. And I didn't. And I cried in the room afterwards. Because this girlie was the first girl in my family. There's so many boys in 30 odd years and here she was and no I felt nothing again but the difference was this time I knew that I could reassure my mind ground my mind work on centering myself work on coming home to my own heart and trusting in the world because ultimately everything worked out so well the last time and by day three I was head over heels in love with this girl and that just continued on from that point and everything was so much easier. And then finally, I had my third baby a year and a half ago and they lifted him out of me. And it's the first time ever that I looked at a baby coming out of my body and I loved him straight away. And I don't think that I could have gotten that without the experience of loving his brother and sister because I didn't just see a baby, I saw my son and I saw the like full realm of the gift that he was. He wasn't just a baby that I had to love and care for and all that. I saw this whole person, this whole soul entering my life and I felt safe and open enough to meet him in that operating theatre again. And that was just a beautiful experience to be able to be in a hospital bed, isolated, COVID, et cetera, et cetera, but with my baby and get to love him and enjoy him and and drink in those pudgy toes and those little fingers and all those things you hear people saying about when they make their baby announcements about being in a bubble of love. I had that, but I didn't have it the other times. And while that's really sad, I am now through loads of help and work a mommy to three amazing kids that love me and know they are loved by me and we have a beautiful relationship so if anybody is going through it or listens to it and does go through that it's really bloody hard to not feel in love with your baby but you absolutely will get there and in the long run you would never know you would never ever ever know oh, I got goosebumps head to toe Head to budgie toes. <laughs> um, because it's very strange that we have romanticized something like birth because it is life altering from the second you get pregnant. And we're creating a new human being. Still can't wrap my head around it. Still don't understand how my bump that kicked my belly was river and that river yeah. was in my belly I couldn't get it when I couldn't comprehend it when I was pregnant and I can't comprehend it now that he's outside of me my brain goes into that black hole of trying to understand the ether and the stars and all of the 
things yeah. that are crazy <laughs> in our life. And I get myself very wrapped up in trying to understand it and the brain goes nuts. And I find it unusual that we try to just make that so simplistic and gorgeous and romantic. It's such a huge thing to happen, no matter how you birth. No one gets away unscathed, mentally or physically. You start talking to women about their experience and all of a sudden it's just not so glorified and not so great. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, very difficult because it is work to be a mom and to move into that new role and to recover and to maybe feed in whatever way you choose to do so and to do it on no sleep and to try and navigate new relationships. And you're doing all of those things and you're meant to be quite polished and quite with it and just loving every moment. And you mentioned work. In terms of work that you had to do to get you from one baby to three to have that navigation of love bubble occur for you, would it have been therapy? Would it have been going to a GP? What work did you do and what work could you suggest to people listening going through this now that would help them? I I did it all. So I spoke with my GP and I spoke with my public health nurse. My GP is a really trusted source and he really listens to me. Like he, I always feel heard by him. So that's one thing that's really valuable. Um, the PHN I had at the time before I, I moved to another part of the city, uh, sorry, public health nurse, um, I'll be honest in saying, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be negative, but she wasn't, she wasn't the best when it came to considering, you know, how you might be feeling or mental health or, you know, the realities of how that might look for somebody. And the reason I mentioned that is, the important thing is to talk to somebody safe that you trust. If your gut feel is that for you, that's not your GP. Okay, well then let's explore who it could be. Maybe it's a private therapist. Maybe it's someone online. Maybe it's a, a friend you went to school with that you know had a hard time before that you could reach out to. Maybe it's someone on social media, whatever it is. The important thing is, is reaching out to somebody and then taking that to somebody who can help you. So I knew with my public health nurse that she wasn't that person for me. A few little, you know, drop things I put in conversation and didn't get a, a great response. So I would say trust, if you can, your gut as to who might be the best person to go to and think and prepare what you might like to say. If you're going to your GP, and I hope, I know it's not the case for everybody that you have a good GP that listens to you, but if you don't, and you find your GP is very busy and a little dismissive or a bit old school. There's two things that can really help people in that scenario. One is going with a little slip of what you want to say. And you'll feel like an awful Egypt. But you can do a disclaimer and say, I feel like an Egypt, but could you just bear with me while I read this? Because it's too hard for me to find the words. The other option is to ask, can you bring an advocate? So whether you have a trusted sister, a trusted partner, a trusted mother. Funnily enough, when there's somebody sitting beside you, two things happen. You don't shy away from speaking your truth because you've gone to the trouble of bringing someone to sit with you on that day. And also the other person sitting across from you becomes much more self-aware about how they react and act in your behaviour. Now, if you do all of that, and you still don't feel you've been listened to or heard, 
I'm not trying to focus on the negative. I'm just sort of preparing people that if it doesn't go your way, please don't be dissuaded from still keeping going. Because you can ask them, please document in my notes that I've highlighted my mental health concerns today and I haven't received an active plan that I'm happy with. You can come away and take a bit of time and reset. I went, before I found the therapist that worked for me, I went to maybe four. But when you find the person that works for you, it feels like a gift to be able to spend time with them. You want to spend time there. You want to do the work of learning about your brain, teasing out your thoughts, reconnecting with your body because you find the person that feels like a match. Like when you meet the person you're going to be with and and form a relationship with and people say it's annoying, but people say when you know, you know. But it, it kind of is the same for finding a person for this kind of work. And I view it very sacred work, especially with mothers. So I would say reach out for help. There is always an answer. There is always help and there is always a way. Follow the way that feels safest and best for you and don't outrule anything. I did medication. I did herbal ceremonies. I did drum healing. I did meditations. I did like you name it. I did it. Um, The only thing I didn't do, which it's up to anybody listening what they feel is I didn't journal my dark feelings some people find that very helpful but actually I found journaling positive affirmations and prayers and all those kind of things really helpful seeing my darkest thoughts sort of validated in black and white didn't kind of strike a chord in a helpful way with me but but that's what I would say and also don't forget the basics as annoying as it is do the best you can with the food you eat, do the best you can with movement, do the best you can with hygiene, because at times those things feel very hard. And yet, if you can manage on a bad day to brush your teeth and have a little wash and listen to a bit of uplifting music, they seem small in the grand scheme of things, but any little run of endorphin or dose of dopamine or serotonin is all building blocks to helping you heal. So they're the things I did that have worked for me but what worked on Jack didn't work on Sarah and I did different things at different times and just being open to a new experience with every every baby. It's being open it's being prepared to do the work and it's also accepting that through the exhaustion and maybe the crazy haze of medication and pain the last thing you want to do is discuss anything to do with motherhood or your circumstance because it's in your brain rattling day in day out but I found I went to therapy for birth trauma and ended up going through so many childhood issues and Mm. other things that cropped up for me when I became a mother and interestingly what I think a lot of people don't talk about as well because you see these perfect 2.4 families and the help and the village and the support that's not always the case for people and that when you become a mother to be prepared to crack open a new set of triggers surrounding that maternal side of things and family and things that perhaps you've put away into that folder that crop up and open again when you become a mother because you suddenly start looking at the world completely differently and whether it's therapy or whether it's doing all of the alternative holistic things that work for you to find the perfect gel and the perfect gift 
it's work you have to do because everything else thereafter will become so much harder if you don't get a handle of it. And you've spoken very openly about your previous battles with eating disorders, body image. And I would love to touch on that for context in terms of where your mental health is at now, having had children. It's how is it now? It's okay. So I was I was thinking about this recently and getting a little bit frustrated with myself. So for context, I've had eating disorders for the guts of my life from adolescence. I would reach a year or two of healing when I was younger. It was more anorexia and then it became bulimia. Um, And whenever I hit a hard patch in life, I often kind of lean on that as a way of coping and that kind of thing. And I feel like recently I've. I'm starting to accept that the healing journey from anything is not a line, but sort of a circle where like nearly like the seasons, you know, you, you have a spring and that that's lovely. Everybody loves spring. You're kind of doing better. Everything's great. Then you have summer. You're absolutely flying it. Nothing's going to touch you. You are great. Your mental health is in the best place ever. You're eating good. You're getting out walking. You're seeing your friends and then you hit autumn and you're like, you know, I'm getting through the day, but it's definitely a little harder. Um, I'm definitely more tired than I was. I'm definitely leaning on, you know, junk food a bit more. And then all of a sudden, you were the hottest girl in spring, summer, and you can't believe you're back in winter again. Um, And you're back in winter and things are hard and you're struggling with your body. You're struggling with food and you're looking in the mirror and it's hard to get dressed. And you kind of can't believe you're here again because you were just hot girl summer. And yet, I am finding and I still have a lifetime of work to do on myself that that's how it seems to go for me. And I'm trying to be accepting that. Thankfully, three quarters of the time when I picture those little circles that you learn the seasons in, I'm spring, summer with a hint of autumn. But sometimes I'm winter, too. And sometimes I'm dark and anxious and struggling with my body and struggling with weight and all of that. But there was a time in my life when I lived in winter and now I just visit there. And I feel like if I can visit and pass through that, I'm okay with that. And I think perhaps that's a normal part of life and a normal part of my life. And once I'm trying to live in the light and live in the good seasons and live in the good days, there will be days where it's it's dark and cold and lonely and and all of those kind of things. So that's how I would describe how it is for me now. It is mostly very, very stable. And I live an incredibly happy, abundant life. But there's days where I do feel frustrated that my mind doesn't always believe that. I think that's why people relate to your beautiful words, by the way, just listening to you speak. I'm like, this could be a book. This could be a page that I'm reading and I'm curling up listening to right now. And it's very soothing. And it's just a perfect depiction of we do not heal from mental health. We live with it. You live with it every day. Mental health is a constant. It cannot be it consistent like it's impossible yeah. because at a cellular level, we are thinking and doing and feeling different things all the time and life is ever changing and we have curveballs thrown at us and equally your environment has such an impact and so if your quadrants as like they're not all going to be perfectly flowing at the same time that's impossible they tend to be seasonal as well you will have career flourishing whilst family life is quite difficult or you could have mm. an amazing in love relationship whilst career is dwindling like it's it's very rare for someone to have all quadrants completely filled up 
and feeling sensational and hot summer like all the time. It's impossible. Otherwise, we would not appreciate the summer season the same way the weather makes us feel pretty shitty in winter and we're absolutely sick of the rain and we go on about it all the time. But then we're too hot in the summer. (laughs) Just, you know, complain. Each of it is is relative to our situation and our environment and how we're digesting that. And so it's accepting those seasons and that circle, which I think is so beautifully put. And motherhood is very much a season I feel it doesn't really end because as you say you know you are forever a a mother from the moment you become pregnant even if that pregnancy does not come to fruition you are a mother you have been a mother you have created life and with that comes so many new emotions new for me anyway I know that we talk of the likes of postpartum rage I mentioned irritability overstimulation Mm. snapping feeling touched out they were pretty new for me digesting that was difficult because I love breastfeeding. I adore my son. I love the tactile love that we have. I would change nothing. My son would crawl back up inside me if he could. He is completely a Velcro baby to me and it is beautiful and it is also exhausting. There is something so hard to describe about you can be standing in the kitchen at the sink and I will hear mama, 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 mama. And I'm nearly trying to trip over my son to get to do the thing that I'm doing, which is a very mundane domestic task. And I'm trying to go fast enough that he doesn't crawl up my leg in time to then get upset to want to be picked up. And you don't realize it building. But when someone else comes into the room, which is inevitably usually Adam, I snap at him because yeah. he's asked me something. And the snap is not at him. It is the buildup of the mama, mama, mama and the trying to do the task. And I can't because you're crawling up my leg and I have to get the dog food and I have to do this and I have to do that. And they're all so boring. And I don't remember who I am. When you were um, <laughs> excuse me, saying that, the main thing that was coming into my head was it's also, so if you think that you've made the decision in most cases to have a baby you've achieved a pregnancy you've gone through the huge 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 physical and emotional shift that is pregnancy then birth then this new baby where your mind body soul life everything has changed and then this baby is attached to you it's a healthy thing we are delighted for it but let's not minimize how much that can affect somebody and when you were describing that moment of you like just trying to get to the kitchen sink and river being like mama 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 and adam coming in and you snap at him i'm because it's i'm hearing it about you and it's not me i'm seeing how confronting it must be to be met with a person who is just more likely centered calm not as affected by all of this is as a lot more themselves than you are anymore So you're able to look at him and he's still Adam, you know, he still looks like himself. He still generally has the temperament of himself. Like my husband looks the same. He pretty much acts the same. He has a few little stressy moments, but generally their career are similar. His career is still the same. Yeah. And so we're experiencing all of this, but we also feel kind of like it's a problem within ourselves because the other parent isn't acting like this, but they're not acting like this because it's not remotely the same experience Mm. at all and both partners are privy to this sense of energy shift and change and the man is having to navigate this new woman that they're now with and the difficulties that they're going through and empathize as best as they can 
to, you know, considering their genetic makeup being completely different and physically not having gone through birth, they, they will, I know I have, and I'm sure you have the exact same, Adam is an incredibly caring, affectionate person who yeah. understands to the best of his ability what exactly. has happened. He was there, you know, when it happened for the most part, but their bodies don't go through that shift. And so there is this understanding and there is often for a lot of women this resentment that then builds up with the men who haven't had that life altering change and a lot of their life seems to remain similar. And the snapping is definitely not at the other person because they haven't actually done anything wrong in that moment. But like the straw that breaks the camel's back, there is this build up of resentment generally in motherhood where it's not actually to do with your partner who is anyway less of a man or not helpful or not an incredible father or not understanding is just to do with fundamentally they have not gone through the same shift and they do not go through the same maternal demand because and this isn't even just to do with breastfeeding and the the tactileness of that and the requirement in terms of your physical self. It is to do with the fact that for the most part, most babies need and bond with their mother in such a different way. Yes. Like I could be with 100%. River for hours all day. He's not in crash. I am with him at home. I work in the mornings and the evenings or when he's asleep. And when Adam takes him for the moments that he has free before and after his work, He'll take him for walks. He'll take him for a few hours to let me have a sleep in bed if it's been, you know, a night where we've been up a few times, whatever. And whenever he can, he helps. And River could be with him and Adam would be cooking for him, playing with him, being with him. And the second he hears my foot hit the floor upstairs, mama, 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 and Adam is gone, vanished, not there, doesn't exist, may as well have not nurtured him all morning. And it's just that need and requirement can be heavy. It's beautiful and it's amazing, but the men don't feel the same weight to that cry. And what hurt me, I remember a lot of the times, Jack more so than any of them was, I mean, I couldn't go to, I couldn't walk from the oven to the sink. I'm not even joking, Joanne, sometimes without him like panicking and running to hold on to me. Like I couldn't move from his side it was so intense I would feel like at the end of the day my husband would come home from work and the difference if I had left and come back he would have got loads done he'd be like I got because he is a fully engaged dad and partner and he'd be like I got the washing folded there and I, I managed to, we had a bit of dinner and then I did a bit of work there when he was playing on the floor and sorry FaceTime my mom I'm like how did you get anything done though like, and that kind of upset me that I was like, we can be technically doing the same role. And I feel like I have no freedom at any stage of the day. And when we were talking earlier about, you know, our own mental health as, you know, spring, summer, autumn, winter, the reality as a mother is you don't get to be in your own season on any given day. You have to nearly have like, okay, we're going to have a multidisciplinary team meeting today. How's everybody else feeling? Because I'm going to have to absorb all of your emotions and your needs and your wants and your desires and all of the needs of work and the house before I even touch on what I might need or want today. And it is reasonable and expected that that is going to grate on you. And one thing I've recently been exploring, so I would have come from a house with an 
incredibly good, engaged, loving mother, like incredibly so. And so, so, so supportive. But in my 20s, I was very judgmental on how she would shout at times and really sort of <laughs> like, you know, the way for your mother yourself. She really should have done the work on herself. Like that wasn't really acceptable, you know, that she'd shout when she was angry. Like that hurt my feelings, right? Anyway, it did as a child and that's valid. However, in my first few years of motherhood, I worked so hard to not be like that and not shout or raise my voice or snap that I nearly combust, Joanne. Like, and I've learned recently, I've been exploring some of the works that are out there around feminine rage and holding space for feminine rage and that we are sometimes just allowed to be angry and allowed to express that and trust that the people around us can take it, can learn to live with it and be okay. Now, I'm not talking, I hope it goes without saying, about aggression. There's a difference between aggression and anger and irritability, of course. But that I'm like, do you know what? If I'm annoyed, my kids are a little bit older and I've been telling my five-year-old, can you put your socks on? Excuse me, sweetheart, we need to go. Can you put your socks on? Excuse me, can I just remind you that if we don't get our socks on, we're going to be late? And I have done that enough times, Joanne. I am now allowing myself to say, put your socks on. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what gentle parenting book out the window yeah, one tried it time all it works there's time it works and it is worth trying I would that's the main thing I'll take from it it's there's time it works and it is worth trying but there's times when it's okay that you can't keep abandoning yourself all of the time and sometimes you need to break cover as it were and be like do you know what this is really annoying actually and I say that to my kids' wives sometimes. I'm just getting frustrated because this is actually really annoying for me because I'm a person too. And please put your socks on. You're honouring your feeling and it's actually better, I feel, for you to be honest in that scenario with your child so that she understands the the whole circle of your feelings instead of just snapping. You're actually taking the yeah. time to semi-regulate and say, this is happening because I'm really fucking annoyed. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay and that's going to happen and nobody is perfect. It's giving yourself the grace to attempt the gentle side, but then also accept without the guilt that this is going to happen. And as you say, there are, of course, you know, levels and and margins that cannot be crossed in terms yes. of the rage and the anger and things like that. But on a, on a normal level, I think it is very normal and as females we're very much taught to subdue that side of ourselves and to dull down the heightened senses and the stimulation because it's not very attractive it's more of a masculine thing it's more of a testosterone thing and yet we must also look at the hormones that come into play when our body I was reading a paper there recently about when a mother has a boy we actually have completely different changes physically and in the brain in terms of, uh, let's go back to, you know, caveman goes to hunt food and mom has baby and mine's baby in cave. It's something to do with when you have boys, you have to be more aggressive because there is some protective um, sense that's needed when you have a boy. It's really interesting anyway. I'm, I'm wow. very much surmising it, but it is categorically proven and factual that when you create and have a boy, that your aggression levels heighten by virtue of wow. the hormones that occur, which is very interesting. And 
I think that that feeling and it's funny you you hit the nail on the head when you were saying I am so shocked that you as in partner husband whatever um are able to get so much done when you're minding our child or our children and it's hard to fathom because I often feel quite useless in the time that I have river and that's a word that I have added to myself since becoming a mother I feel a little bit useless at times because all I feel like I'm doing is being a mother and nurturing and holding and feeding my child. And yet, when Adam has him for the same amount of hours, sometimes in the morning, he will unload the dishwasher. He'll be able to put a wash on. He can prep some buns. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah. I have fed him about 15 times since then, purely because he's particularly whiny this morning and he sees me as the source of pain relief and comfort. Yeah. And everything all encompassed in one. And he happens to be cutting four teeth at the moment. And I actually experienced a really strange sense of mom guilt there recently where because uh, River is cutting four teeth, he was really late with teeth. I don't know what the the norm is for teeth. It's such a, a different thing for each child. But he had two bottom teeth by the time he was one. And then he's now cutting between four and five on top now <gasps> at 15 months, which to me is quite oh, late. He had no And a lot teeth. at one time. A lot at one time. As a yeah, result. And he's, he's, yeah. he's handling it really well in terms of he's a very happy, content, bubbly boy and his sleep isn't too affected. But I'm noticing he's feeding a lot more, having gone down to those reduced feeds. He's now just using it for comfort a lot more and it really hurts at the moment. Oh. And his canines are quite sharp and they have come head on with my nipples on multiple occasions where he's kind of chilling now. He's looking at me and he's messing around and he's going... I'm just going to see what happens if I just bite for a second. And oh. I have let out a shriek because it is honouring my feelings that this fucking hurts. But when yes. I shriek, which is just a normal response, he cries because he gets very upset that I'm upset. And then I go into mom guilt mode where I need to micromanage my physical sensation. And I cannot shriek like that because it upsets him. And I find it really hard because what that's then doing is adding another load onto myself. Yes, yes. How do we stop doing that? It's normal, right? To just add mom guilt to everything. Okay, so what works for me is a reframe. A few things. So the first thing, the most liberating thing I've done for myself in motherhood is accept and connect to the limits of my own humanity. Remember that I am not that special and my child is not that special in the spectrum of humanity. We are just we are just normal humans in a great vast universe ticking along like little dolls living our lives. Right. We're connected on a more emotional level, but we're ultimately humans playing this human game. And reframing then around mom guilt, I actually do not use that phrase as a rule because I don't believe in it. I think what it does is dishonors the truth of our feelings and attributes so much blame. So often, you know, mommy goes back to work, say, and baby's at crash, and she'll say, oh, I feel such mom guilt. In my mind, I'm like, do you feel guilt or do you feel pain? Do you feel pain that you can't both be with your child as much as you want, but also earn the money you need. You go out for a night out with your partner. 
you feel guilty that he's at home and he's a bit restless, he's with your mom who's down or whatever. Do you feel guilt? Because guilt should be attributed to something you've really done wrong and you're at blame for. Or do you, does a part of your heart feel sad that you can't, as a human, exist solely with the intention of meeting his needs completely 24-7? And in order to be well and feel well, you must explore life outside him and beyond the home. So the word guilt, I think, can be so commonly associated with motherhood. And I feel it is in no way helpful. So when I hear that you see River upset when he bites your nipple with fresh raw teeth, I think it is perfectly normal response that you are saddened by his sadness. Because as a mother, your brain is hardwired there. But it equally doesn't mean you have done anything wrong that you need to change anything or River will be in any way majorly affected by his mom screaming when he better nipple. It's so funny when you say it like that because it sounds almost ridiculous when I hear it back oh. because it, no, 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 I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean this in a good way. I'm taking it in a positive sense where it it, it lightens the load that I'm adding to it, if that makes sense. It's kind of just a, a smack of reality of this is just a very minuscule example of, of the mom guilt I was putting on myself. By the way, there are far greater things that happen. And even in that silly example, what seems innocuous, instead of just shrieking and honouring the pain in that moment, I am adding this extra weight of worry on how that is then affecting River I'm trying to almost explain to him, you can't hurt mommy, that hurts, but he doesn't know yet. And I find that a very difficult stage where they understand a certain amount of our language and our feelings, but the crying is their way of articulating, I don't like this, but I don't know how to say it. And it's quite a hard phase to be in where you're wanting to almost say, like it's it's almost easier if it makes sense when maybe it's not easier but when a baby is older you can say you can't do that you've just hurt jack oh no it is easier it is easier then it is easier then but also i try to remember equally in those moments that you know when i say accepting our own humanity and that we are ultimately not special it's that intellectualizing motherhood so much to a point where there is no space for us to exist in our natural ways. Like in what other species on earth, and I'm just focusing on the example of breastfeeding because I think it's actually a really good example of how we hyper filter ourselves around our children, that there is no other species on earth that their infant could physically hurt their body and the mother would not react. I'm just for some reason thinking of chimpanzees and apes and and monkeys in this. They'd be just off the tree like, (laughs) you know, gone. (laughs) Like, and I would don't recommend just, you go to that extreme, but it yeah, is. It yeah, is I mean, actually... that's, that's the boundary, but it's it, it's so true. It is so true because the, the nature, the instinct, the primal, do we dull that down? Diluting the natural instincts. Yes. And, and the thing is, two things can exist at the same time. And if we if we stay with that one example, what happens? And again, I'm not trying to pull your example apart. I just think it's actually a really good anchor for this conversation is that two things can exist at the same time. River communicates by crying. You bite, he hears a cry. So that's you communicating to him equally that that hurts, you know. But also what happens after? River's crying. 
you don't put him down and say, I'm not talking to you now for two hours because you bit my nipple. You're instantly holding him, comforting him, rubbing his hair, rubbing his face. Like he is met with nurture and safety. And you and Adam will be the space in which he learns about anger, pain, frustration, emotions, and also the regulation that comes after that. So I think the idea that we need to be, even in a greater sense, when we talk about that irritability, the snapping, the rage, this hyper-filtered version of a woman, especially in front of our children, is not maybe as helpful as we believe it to be. When life gets real and when they're meeting other females in different environments and they're near shocked and too sensitive towards it, right? It's You need to show the full spectrum of emotion in the home. Of yourself. And somebody... <laughs> excuse me and um, one of my therapist said to me once and I found it so liberating as well she said you realize and I put this up in a post recently enough that you know look it depends on your faith system and I'm not particularly religious but she was saying you know you realize say Jack as an example was meant to have you as a mother in all that you are in all the good in the bad and the rights and the wrongs you are his destiny and try to work on yourself and always try to be good and do good as I choose to in the world in general. But trust that every experience your child has with you is meant for them. I love that. I just found it very freeing. Like, you know, Jack, yeah, Jack is going to be who he's going to be. And part of that is me as his mother. And it's always my job to try my best for my children. But I, he was meant to have me. I'm not meant to micromanage myself within an inch of my life and I have enough trust in Jack and Sarah now as they get older that they can handle me that they can handle the fact that I am loving and affectionate and playful and also sometimes need to tell them that sometimes mommy can't take any more noise she needs to lie in a dark room you need to respect her space now listen I might say 15 times but those frustrating moments that you're having now you'll bear the fruit of later. Like only in the last few months and Jack, Jack is five that I can say, I'm nipping out Jack, I'm going to the shop and he'll just be like, bye. You know, after months and then years of reassuring mommy's going to come home and everything's okay. And just like River will learn that if, if mommy gets annoyed or mommy snaps, she doesn't stay there. She comes back to me with love and affection and understanding. So it's not always the scariest damaging thing because I can see to the end, play the movie to the end. Mammy gets annoyed, mammy snaps, mammy's angry. But when I play the movie to the end, I know I have a happy, loving mammy in my home. So it's not as scary and detrimental as we would like to lead ourselves to believe. If you ever thought about doing therapy? <laughs> I was like, I've done loads of therapy. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm just actually relating that to relationships full stop and what you're explaining. So it's making so much sense to me. And yet in the moment, I obviously am not thinking of that. And when you go into a relationship, done work on yourself and you've gone through breakups and you know what you want and you are settled in and secure in your bond with your partner, you are authentically yourself. You have your bad moods, you have your snaps, you have yes. your loving cuddles afterwards. And it's the same. And moving on to relationship changes. I certainly know that the sexual energetic prowess I once was <laughs> has been majorly subdued, <laughs> subdued and humbled by recovery. Or IP. Yeah. <laughs> or IP. Humbled by recovery, 
humbled by the physical changes that we both navigated together, breastfeeding, my body not feeling like my own, my body not looking like my own, just generally seeing my entire vessel as something entirely different than it once was. Relationships shift after having children. How did that manifest for you? And you don't need to go anywhere that is not comfortable for you. But I think a lot of women, another conversation that we do not have is how sex changes and how relationships change after having children. Yeah, so I think the fr- at first I found that really difficult and it was very much tied to my body image and my worth and value as a partner. So my relationships before my husband were very centered around sex and around that sort of energy and chemistry and you know I placed a lot of value on myself you know being slim blonde wearing the heels having the eyelash done having the nails done you know even in terms of sex wasn't overly concerned about my own pleasure because it was all a bit of a performance you know to validate that I am sexy I am valuable I am worthy when I met my husband that was such a different relationship from the off that I felt so at home in myself that already that sort of heightened need to connect sexually and all that already kind of simmered down rather than than boiling over then you introduce children in the mix mental health issues c-section recovery you name it I would say after my first baby it was something I chased for a while I I felt I felt it was another loss, another loss of a part of me, of a part of my identity, of a loss in my relationship, a way that we could connect in a way that was just the two of us, in a way that felt like it was coming home to the person I was before having babies, a space where I was absolutely not a mother. You know, it was just there was no other realm in our lives other than sex that it felt like. It was just us in a space and time where, rightly so, parenthood was left outside the door. But it didn't work. Like, it just, I everything I thought I needed in terms of frequency of having sex, the way we had sex, the performative element of it, it just wasn't working. And I suppose only now, and I'm five years into this, I look at sex as something that is going to be, that is going to be a part of my life and my relationship. But there's honestly not a lot of space for it at the moment without feeling like it's a real push or a real pull to make it happen. The only times I find when you've got small kids and work and balance the sex is actually really enjoyable. It's when you both actually really want it rather than feeling like, oh, we really should because what does this mean about our relationship and and how significant is this about me as a woman and how he loves me and how he relates to me and all of that. I find surrendering to this season again of our lives where sex is not a big part of our relationship. It is part of our relationship that rightfully we enjoy on a rare occasion at this stage but that that's really okay and that when you feel safe with somebody and you communicate with the person you love about where you're at that I don't think it's 
going to be as harmful as perhaps I've the narrative has been spun in movies of this sort of, you know, frigid wife and this ever suffering husband of desire that's being neglected. That's definitely not been my experience. And I can only presume that's because in a more modern setup where the where the partner works really hard in the home as as well as in the office, you know, he's just as tired as me. He's just as like feeling as shite and frumpy as me, you know. Um, so I find just surrendering to what feels natural to us at each stage the best way to enjoy that part of our relationship and take it and take the foot off the pedal in terms of pressure. I'm aware in saying that, that it's not always going to be the case for people that their desires match up, which is an issue because my husband does a lot in the house and he works really hard. So we're both as tired as each other and on the same page. And it must be really difficult to not be on the same page. And perhaps one partner really needs that more than the other. Um, but I can't speak to that. All I can speak to is that in taking the pressure off, in trusting in our relationship, our love and the natural cycle of life. And again, going back to that, I'm not so special that I thought I'd be different from all the mothers that and wives that went before me that told me it just suddenly becomes not so important anymore. I thought I was so sexy that that was not going to be me. And it is me. And that's just because I'm not so special. I'm actually just like all the women and mothers that went before me. And that's okay. I'm not actually, I'm not giving up. I'm not failing. I'm not losing. What I'm doing is willing to go with the natural flow of my relationship as it is while still feeling loved and connected to my partner. And that's where we are now. I don't know if in six months time it's going to be different and it's something I need a lot more and we have to make more space and time for and make more dates and, and all of those kind of things. But right now we're happy with an occasional ride and a kiss on the couch watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the end I feel like a libido is ever changing like everything else there is no st- like it's never stagnant in this either really high super high sex drive not in my experience anyway it's 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 ever changing ever evolving and I love how you just explain how you <laughs> you thought so highly of your sexual self that yes! you'd be exempt exempt of this will not happen no again. I was going those. to be though yeah I'm, I'm not gonna <laughs> wear those frumpy knickers wear the nursing bras all the time never the sex you have to wear forever thinking that we're exempt of that there is a death of ego there like the ego death happens where you are taken down and humbled yes you can mourn that person that former self because it is glorified and it's in the rose tinted glasses of previous relationships where you were so sexy and it all of a sudden is vastly different but is so little a sacrifice to have the security and loyalty and kindness and you know a relationship exchange that happens with parenthood and having a partner like you described which I am lucky enough to also have who is extremely mm. helpful in the household as well as the the phrase bringing in the bacon has has changed a lot there isn't just this typical scenario woman at home making dinner and ironing and man goes and brings home the money and then sees the kids for a couple hours before bed that has that dynamic has very much shifted for most households and we are now all encompassing we're doing it all and it's it's shared 
in whatever way domestically works for your household. But I think that that energy loss that happens with that dynamic means it's a little bit more balanced. Surrender is one of those words that you mentioned and surrendering epitomizes parenthood. I feel like we've just surrendered everything from milestones, development, food, sex life. Everything is just surrender because you cannot control the narrative of a living human being that you are bringing up and raising. And it's so much about priority and prioritizing things that are a lot more important than the likes of sex. And yet sex is equally important once you are doing it, when you are both really wanting. And I think that's so key because I remember distinctly the first, one of the first times that we had sex after recovering from a section and being pretty terrified, probably up there being as terrified as doing a poo, if I'm honest, because that was also (laughs) really fucking scary. When you look at it in that way and your, your body just being unrecognizable in all sensations and everything just feeling very different. And I had an induction before a section. I think hopefully women will understand this feeling where you almost assume that the lady parts will be totally, totally unscathed from having a C-section. Mm. And yet my pelvic floor was a totally new feeling and laughing yeah. and coughing and all of that jazz, you know, very different. And I remember crying after one of the first times that we had sex afterwards. Not very sexy, may I add, mm. <laughs> to cry afterwards. No. It was just this huge emotion. And maybe it was that my body has not failed me in this circumstance and I have been able to do this again, but I do not recognize the act or myself or how I feel. And I'm not even sure if it was me doing it or whether I was watching myself from above the bed. Was I even there? Was I present? And there is this feeling of that a lot, I find with motherhood, where you're kind of watching yourself And there is this critical parent slash adult slash child role that you're flitting between in a much more conscious navigation than you ever freely lived before. And I think a lot of that is to do with identity and loss of. And I'd love to end on that because the loss of identity is weighted. It's heavy. And, you know, when we look at how excruciating that feeling can be, on one hand, you're immersed in the ultimate gift and love bubble of having children. You would not change an inch of your baby or circumstance. And in Mm -hmm. another breath, drowning in the sense of unfamiliarity and missing the old part of your old life. How do you navigate the missing and the being present? I would say it definitely eases over time. Like, I think the thing that surprised me most when people talked before I became mother about loss of identity, I thought it was sort of this idea that, you know, your routine would be a bit different and, you know, you probably wouldn't look quite the same. But when you when you make the decision to become a mother or a parent, you do so from the viewpoint of the person you are and know yourself to be. And you think you will be the person mothering that baby but you're not. You go and this new person is born. Mm -hmm. So when you think about who you're going to be as a mother, how it's going to be or whatever, you, you literally can't imagine how it's going to be, feel, because you've never met the person you're about to become, never mind your baby. The loss of identity, it upsets me a bit because I think it's hugely influenced by how much we minimize the role of motherhood in society and all that it encompasses. 
it's one of those burdens that women bear that it's just it just is it just is a part of life it just your grandmother did it and she got on with it well let me tell you of the decades and generations of women that suffered in silence through all of the things that are in their lives and we're just kind of the first speaking out about it and actually to navigate this new experience while you're you feel like it's like an episode of parent trap like midnight hit and you left your body and someone else entered it and you're you have this new person your relationship feels new you feel brand new you're not doing the same things every day you do not look the same your body does not feel the same everything is so uncertain and so shaky that it just makes everything 10 times more unnerving and unsettling how i have sort of come to terms with it, I would say, is a couple of things, which is I'm starting to settle over time and just let that feeling be and settle into my new role. Now, I'm five years in, so it's different and it's going to change. I'm kind of looking at myself as I walk by shop windows and and I'm kind of a little dumpy looking and my hair's up and I've no makeup on and I'm pushing prams and I have a backpack on my back and They were all things I never wanted the look of that I didn't associate with the person I was. And I I try to meet myself where I am and accept myself where I am, while also recognizing that there's a part of me that definitely me needs something beyond motherhood. And I only recently started getting childcare and. two, three mornings a week. So it works out about 12 hours. It's not very much, but it has been incredible for my family. It has been absolutely incredible that those moments to have where I can explore my creativity and work without balancing, weighing, juggling, whatever, has really given me a glimpse of a more sustainable way that I can live this new identity, I would say. Not so much a glimpse of who I used to be because it's very different to the work I'm doing now, but a life that feels like, oh, maybe I could live this way like in the long term. And maybe it doesn't just feel like I'm just surviving. This actually feels really quite nice. And it, it took me a long time to do it, Joanne. Like I really wasn't ready for people to mind my kids. And it's it's in my house and it's somebody I know and trust and love and that's the way I felt comfortable at this stage doing it but it it really has had a very positive impact on everybody and I I when I feel those moments when I return to the kids and like I said in a week it's 12 hours like it's nothing much I know that's a massive privilege but the excitement that I feel of getting to walk back into my kids is amazing to feel and to know that they're greeted with me excited to see them and I'm like I'm like a really good dad on those days you know I'm like you want to play a game you want to go out and kick a bit of ball like all of a sudden I'm this this other version of myself so I suppose that's very long-winded but ultimately how I cope with the loss of identity is not over-examining it finding ways and things that make me feel like me and myself as a little sliver apart from motherhood. And for a long time before it became a job, that was my Instagram account. And now being willing to change and do things that scare me. And I know for some people, they 
through necessity or choice put their babies in childcare very early. It's not what I chose. And so it was a hard thing to do four years in, you know, um, but it has proven really amazing for me. And it also taught me a lesson because I think I always ultimately thought, because my mom stayed at home with us, that if you could afford it, the best way to, to mother your children was to stay at home with them as much as possible. And now I don't think that is all, at all. I think the best thing you can do is be with your children as much and as well as you can show up for them. And I can do that better a million percent when I have some allocated time away from them. And I'm so happy that you found that. And I'm also receiving comfort in the fact that you weren't able to do that straight away. I know it's something that I am not ready for yet. And I have always said if we ever did get childcare, it would be in that scenario where we would have it in the home because we both work from home, but it would allow us to have that space to know that our child is very taken care of and happy and that I am returning more replenished and energetic and able to, I think it's about instead of returning to who you are, it's being able to allow yourself live as who you now are. So it's not trying to seek the old person or the other version of you. It's just settling into who you are now and having those glimmers of I can do this for years to come instead of I am surviving today. Yes. Emma, I just want to thank you so much for such a wonderful and thought provoking conversation. It has been a pleasure. A conversation I think will help so many and your work continues to help many. If anyone would like to read or view more of what you do, where can they find you? I am on at this mama doodles on Instagram and I have a whole 129 followers on TikTok if people want to follow me there. I don't really post content, but there you go. So no, I'm just an Instagram girly. Um, so that's where you can find me if you need me. Emma, thank you so much. Thank you, Joanne. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much.